I've, be, I've been really looking forward uh, to, uh, to being with you guys. Uh, I kind of feel I've, I've known you from a distance. Uh, I connected with James a few months ago uh, when I was over in Sidcup um, and uh, heard a little bit of what was happening. But of course, Dave Holden and I go back many years. <laughs> we won't say how, how many years, do we? But well, let, let's just say Dave and I played in the same football team together. Dave was a kind of midfield player, yeah, kind of just pushing up a bit, and uh, I was the goalkeeper. Now, I, I, I relatively recently stopped, because goalkeepers peak late, okay? But uh, when, did you, when did you stop? All right, we're not going there. Dave said don't go there. Okay, all right. Well, just great to be here and uh, just a real appreciation of you um, as a church that's a member of the Evangelical Alliance. We, we're just kind of dependent upon churches like yourselves getting behind uh, the mission that we're about because we exist to serve you. And uh, I know that many of you are also uh, individual members and we love that. So thank you for your individual membership because we produce some great resources which we'd love uh, to make available to you. If you're not a member, there's some of these leaflets at the back and uh, you can fill it out and just tell us some of the stuff that you'd like to hear from us about because we just produce stuff. A great team of people doing some fantastic stuff and we'd love to keep you informed about that. So again, that bit of leaflet is there at the back. Now, this morning, if you've got your Bibles or your phones, your iPads, um, why, don't you, why don't you turn to Matthew chapter 16? And uh, I... I, 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 I hope you'll allow me. I feel like this morning we ought to just spend a bit of time in some foundational stuff. I feel like we ought to, in a sense, just look at some basics. I'm almost embarrassed by the basics, the foundations that we're going to look at this morning. But sometimes, you know, it's good to look at our foundations. And we're going to, we're going to look at Matthew uh, chapter 16 and we're going to look at verse 13 um, onwards. You know, I've, I've come to the conclusion that the greatest challenge we face as a church here in the UK is the challenge of how do we make Jesus known to our generation. Now, maybe it's always been the challenge, but I just sense it particularly at this moment of time. How are we going to make Jesus known to those that surround us, to the communities that we're committed to. How are we going to make Jesus known? You know, I, I thank God for, you run a food bank here, don't you? Thank God for the food banks. I thank God for the night shelters. I thank God for the street pastors. I thank God for the work among the elderly, among the young people. You know, the church is doing some extraordinary things. I thank God for those. And you know what? We've got to keep doing them. We mustn't stop doing them. But would you allow me to put a butt in? And the butt bit is this. Others can do those things. Maybe not as well as we can, but others can do them. It is only the church of Jesus Christ that can make Jesus known. Isn't it? It's kind of statement of the obvious, but yet we've got it. Please hear me. We mustn't stop doing those things. And often those things are the route by which people come to know Jesus. 
But ultimately, the mandate that we've got being given as a community is we've got to make Jesus known to the people that surround us. And this morning, we're going to ask the question, who is the Jesus that we're making known? When I, when I became a Christian, you know, I fell in love with Jesus. You know, it's a long time ago now. But let me tell you, it wasn't the great Christian worship that attracted me. It wasn't the great preaching of the church that I went to. It, you know, it, it wasn't even the great community that I could, became part of. But there was something about Jesus that changed everything for me. I fell in love with Jesus. And we're going to spend a bit of time asking the question, who is the Jesus that we're making known? And we're going to look at it, asking, looking at three questions with three answers and, of, and an event that changes everything. So Matthew chapter 16. It's, uh, things are hotting up for the, for the disciples and for Jesus. Uh, he's... He's, John the Baptist has died. There's been conflict with some of the religious leaders. Jesus has warned the disciples just a few verses earlier um, as to some of the teaching of the Pharisees and the scribes. And now he's taken his disciples. It seems like he's taken them deliberately to the north to Caesarea Philippi. It's, it's way up north. He's away from Jerusalem. It's, it's, it's two days' walk from the Sea of Galilee. It's almost like he's getting them away from all that stuff. And he's deliberately provoking a conversation with them. So, verse 16. Well, no, verse 13 through, uh, through 14 in chapter 16. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Jesus is using that little phrase, Son of Man. It's almost in an oblique way he's using it, but he's saying, who do people say that I am? Who do people say the Son of Man is? Who do people say I, I, I am? And they replied, well, some say John the Baptist. Others, Elijah. Others, Jeremiah. Others, one of the prophets. Okay, so Jesus is getting the answers from his disciples. What do the people around in first century Palestine, how do, how do they see me? It's interesting, actually, some of the lists that we've got there, isn't it? It's kind of, it's not the gentle Jesus, meek and mild it's maybe not the Jesus that we might anticipate if we were teaching Sunday school. Yeah. It's not, it, I, I, can, I was flicking through um, some of the uh, imageries on the net of Jesus that you can get. Let me tell you, it's not the image that you can find on the net of Jesus. No, he's talking about John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, other prophets. Some of these wild prophets stood up and spoke God's word, challenged the authorities, spoke against wickedness, spoke against injustice. It, it, it sounds a bit dangerous, the kind of person that they are, they'd viewed at first century Palestine. But, but you know what? What about today? 
What about if we went out on the streets of Sidcup or the area that you live on, with people that you work with? What would, how would people answer that question today? You know, we did, we did a bit of research recently. We, we called it the Talking Jesus Research. I don't know if you kind of picked up on it. If you're into research, it's definitely uh, worth looking at. Uh, talkingjesus.org. You can go there. You can find it. And uh, we kind of asked the question, among a number of lots of questions, and we used Comrades, one of the big polling people, and we asked a question about how people view Jesus. There was lots of really encouraging stuff in the research, Kind of, if you're into it, have a look. But one of the great, for me, shocking things that came out was the statistic that 40% of the UK population weren't convinced that Jesus was a real person. You don't look shocked. Well, maybe, maybe it's just me. Maybe I just kind of talked to the wrong people. But you know what? I, I found that pretty shocking because we weren't asking, did they see Jesus as the Son of God? Well, we did ask that question. But in this question, we weren't asking, you know, was he the Messiah? Did he rise from the dead? All those kind of things. No, we just, you know, did, did he really exist? 40% weren't convinced that he really existed. Now, that, that's pretty important, isn't it? Because if people are going to become followers of Jesus, it's pretty important that they have a conviction that he's not just a fantasy character, that he really existed, that he walked the, the, the roads of Palestine 2,000 years ago. I, I shared that statistic with, with my church back home uh, a few months ago. And uh, a week after, this uh, young teacher came up to me, teacher in the secondary school, and she said to me, Steve, she said, I, I kind of responded to the challenge you gave last week. I said, what was the challenge I gave? I couldn't remember what I'd said. She said, you know, the Talking Jesus challenge. And I said, oh, yeah, yeah. And she said, well, last week, she said, every lesson, or virtually every lesson that I did, I started the lesson with, you do know Jesus was a real person, don't you? She said it was absolutely fascinating what happened in the lessons. She said that people could have said, the kids said, but, but we, we, we thought they disproved his existence. She said, no, 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 no. There's more evidence for Jesus' existence than, than virtually anybody else in ancient literature. We said, well, we, said well, we thought we disproved about the miracles. Well, we can talk about the miracles le- later, she said. We, I just want you to know he really existed. And she said, what was interesting was, at the end of a lesson, these days, kids have to write a little note about what they've learned in the lesson. And she said, one kid after another was writing in their notes at the end, what did you learn? I learned Jesus was a real person. That's pretty good, isn't it? I kind of like that. So, So it's pretty important that we're clear, he really did exist. Now... There's, there's other good news in the, in the, in the research. There's, some of the research tells us, you know, actually, as a Christian community, we're pretty well known. 67% of non-Christians know a Christian. Well, that's pretty good, isn't it? We are known, and in fact, when we ask them what they thought about us, for surprisingly for some of us, they spoke really positively about us. The word hypocrite or homophobic was right down the bottom of the list. They thought we were caring, we were kind, we were, we were people that were friendly and wanted to get along with. That's encouraging. So, so we are known and we are liked. But I tell you what was really shocking to me, another shocking one, was 61% of non-Christians have never had a conversation with a Christian 
about their faith. Oh. That's just a challenge to us, isn't it? Hey, it's got to be. It seems like we're spending a lot of our time talking to the same people about our faith rather than finding fresh ways of breaking out and making Jesus known. So I'm going to give me, if you don't like statistics, we're leaving them behind right now. Okay. So, but have a, if you're into it, have a look at that research because I think it's really challenging. In fact, it's really infected us. It, if you're interested in making Jesus known, there's a little re- website that we've put up there called the Great Commission website. Go to Evangelical Alliance, look for Great Commission, or go straight to greatcommission.org, and you'll find it because it's packed with resources. But also, every week, there's a video of somebody telling the story of how they... I don't think that's my stomach. (laughs) How they came to faith. And uh, it's really encouraging, isn't it? It, When we hear the stories of people coming to faith, people, that kind of grows our faith. You know what? All over the face of the earth today, in fact, all over the face of the UK today, people are coming to Christ. In fact, I'm pretty convinced I am hearing of more people coming to Christ today in the UK than I can remember in all my time of public, of, of, of public ministry and leadership. It's happening. It's fantastic, isn't it? We're caught up in something that God is doing. In fact, the statistics tell us we are seeing the death of nominal Christianity, but the growth of passionate followers of Jesus who are committed to making Jesus known. And we're part of that. We're caught up in that. God's enabling us to be that kind of people. Okay, so let's, let's move on. So we've looked at question one. Look at, let's look at question two. Verse 15 through 16. So Jesus now puts them on the spot. He's talking to the disciples. What about you, he asks. I love it about Jesus, doesn't he? He kind of of puts us on the spot sometimes. What about you? Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, or hell, will not overcome it. And I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven." And then he, ordered, then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. That's a key question, isn't it? Who do you say that I am? Okay, we know what, what the outside world says, but who do we say that he is? Peter's really clear. He's... He makes it, it's almost like he blurts it out. He's more than a prophet. He's more than a teller of truth. You wonder whether the disciples have been discussing it a little bit among themselves as they traveled the road, observing what Jesus was doing. But Peter can't keep it in. He says, you're the one. You're the one that the Old Testament has spoken of. You're the one that we as a nation have been looking forward to. You're you're the Messiah. 
You're the Christ. You're the one true king. Wow. It's a good job that if a north, good job they're up in Caesarea Philippi. This is, this is a dangerous statement that Peter's making. Because if there's one true king and it's Jesus, that means that Caesar isn't king. If there's one true king, it means that the power bases in Jerusalem that control the temple are going to face the judgment of God. The power of the religious leaders is going to go. This is a watershed moment. Jesus affirms what Peter has said. He says to Peter, you've got a revelation, Peter. Flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you. It's my Father in heaven. Just, just a little, little note on that. When Peter says... You're the son of the living God. He's actually, he's not got to the place of understanding Jesus' divinity. That's going to come later. We don't get there until we get into uh, into Acts and get into the New Testament, uh, the the, the writings of, of of the epistles. But he's reaching towards something. You're the Messiah. And Jesus affirms that. Flesh and blood hasn't revealed that to you. Now, you know what? I think there's a little note we should make here. When I became a Christian, I can remember the moment, and I heard a guy basically preach the gospel. I had heard it before. Now, I couldn't, I couldn't have preached as well as he preached it, but, but I'd heard it before. It wasn't, it wasn't news in one sense to me, but something happened as he preached. Deep down in the core of my being, I just knew it was true. It was a revelation. Because I knew it was true, I had a big choice to make. Was I going to go with what I knew to be true or was I going to turn my back on it and go another way? Now, I'm glad that I responded to that knowing it was true feeling. Thank God that as we... Talk about Jesus. As we look to respond to the challenge of making Jesus known, we're not on our own in it. Thank God that God promises to come alongside us. It's a big part of the work of the Holy Spirit to reveal Jesus. We're not on our own in this. Thank God for that. This is a critical moment, isn't it? Simon gets a change of name. You're the rock. Is going to be the foundation for this new building that's going to emerge. Peter's confession, the confession that he's, good, that he's just going to make, that he's just made, it's a foundational confession for this new community that is going to emerge. I want you to notice there, Jesus only uses the word, or is reported using the word church twice in the Gospels. And that's one of these occasions here. He uses the word church. It's the church, he's the foundation. Peter's going to be a foundation among others of this church. But the confession that Peter makes is a foundation of this church as well. See, Jesus isn't going to build a new city to replace Jerusalem or a new temple to replace the old temple. No, Jesus is building, oh, wait for it, 
He's building a new community. <laughs> That's good news, isn't it? What's your name? What's your name? Oh, that's good. You're in on this. Jesus is building a new community. A community made up of those who give allegiance to him, the anointed king. And this new community, it starts here. It starts here and now, Caesarea Philippi. And so we get on to the last question and we get to the event which changes everything. I don't know about you, we've just had Christmas, haven't you? I don't know how it works in your house. But in our house, we do Christmas big time. Okay, we just like, and over the years, kind of various rituals have developed about how we do Christmas in the Clifford household. And we love it. We think it's fantastic time. And, um, and one of the rituals is, like, you know, like a few weeks before, the instruction goes out that we all have to, to make a list of what we would like for Christmas. So it's, a, it's kind of a Christmas list. And, they, and they all get circulated to everybody. And then, on, and then all, the presents come to our house, and they all get put underneath the Christmas tree. On Christmas Day morning, we come down, and uh, it's my job to st- sit beside the tree and to hand out the presents. And I try to hand them out, you know, so everybody's kind of in order, so people don't get left out and all that kind of thing. And uh, there was one dirty great present, a few, this is a few years ago now, dirty great present under the tree. And it was from Anne, my wife, and, uh, it, uh, and it's for me. So at the right moment, I kind of opened the, this big present up, and I was, all the oohs and ahs, and, and it was this dirty, great jigsaw puzzle. And it was like one of these things where I had 10,000 pieces, 9,000 of which are sky. Okay. <laughs> okay, so, so uh, you know, so, oh, ow, that's amazing. That's <laughs> so much sky. <laughs> And uh, anyway, we went on the rest of the day, and it came to the the end of the day, and there was a bit of a husband and wife moment beside the kitchen sink. And I'm washing up. I I don't tell you that to impress you, just so you know. (laughs) It's true. And Anne was there beside me. We just have a little moment. And I said to Anne, I said, you know, um, you know the jigsaw? I said, "Um, have you ever seen me do a jigsaw? Now, let me just make clear, I have nothing against people who do jigsaws. Okay? I'm, I'm, I, it's a great way to occupy time, but I'm not a jigsaw kind of person. I said, you know, do, do I look like a jigsaw kind of person? And she said, no, and she's kind of shaking her head, and she goes, but, but Steve, she says, you put it on your list. I said, darling, I was hoping for more of the Black and Decker version. (laughs) Absolutely true story. I'll tell you when I'm making them up. Uh, It's absolutely true. Now, you see, the trouble is, same word, two very different meanings. When Peter uses the word Messiah, we have to ask the question, Did he have the same meaning for that word as Jesus had? What are we going to discover? Let's turn it back back to the passage. This is question three. And we're at verse 21. From that time on, 
Jesus began to explain to his disciples. Oh, Jesus is now, this is, we're now, this is a watershed moment in Matthew's gospel. We're now working our way towards the end. He's preparing them and he's explaining to them. What's he explaining to them? That he must go up to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. And Peter took him to one side and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. And Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but human concerns. So question three, who does Jesus say he is? See, it had been all going so well for Peter, hadn't it? New name, foundation of a church to come. Suddenly, the balloon gets popped. See, it's almost like Peter wanted to start working out the strategy for the Messiah, He got it all in his mind. He wanted Jesus up in Jerusalem. He wanted to bring an army around Jerusalem. He wanted to take over the temple. He wanted to defeat the Romans. He got it all in mind. That's what he had in mind. See, what Peter's hearing from Jesus, well, it sounds to Peter like nonsense. Never, he says. See, Jesus is refusing to fit into their view of the Messiah. Same word, different meaning. Yes, Jerusalem. Yes, the temple. Yes, the Roman authorities. Yes, the elders, the teachers, the scribes. But a different way. The way of humiliation. The way of suffering. The way of death. Hold on, it can't be right, can it? Jesus says, he must be killed. You know what? Nobody saw this coming. None of the writers of the time saw this. I mean, there were, in, there were, there were allusions to it in the Old Testament. Things that we now see and we think, how did they miss that? But nobody at the time saw it coming. The Messiah was going to die. And then, of course, comes a statement that changed everything. On the third day, says Jesus, be raised to life. Oh, see, Jesus is saying he's not going to stay dead. Jesus is coming back to life. We call it the resurrection, don't we? The resurrection, this is the event that changes everything. You know... If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, let's forget all this. Let's give up. Look, Sunday mornings, we could stay in bed. You know, Dave, let's get a proper job. You know, what? You know, all this is ridiculous. It's rubbish. It makes no sense at all. Unless... He came back to life unless he rose from the dead. 
Do I believe he rose from the dead? Oh, well, we sing it, don't we? We, 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 we sung it earlier. He overcame. What did he overcome? He overcame death. Do I believe it? Well, of course I believe it. I make the confession about it, don't I? I read it in the scriptures. Do I believe it? Just have a little honest moment. I'm not asking you to put your hands up. Just have a little moment. He rose from the dead. If there is a place that could be found somewhere where there is a grave in which Jesus is to be found, all this is rubbish. It's, let's forget it. It all hangs on this. Other religions speak of, have prophets. Other religions have key teachers. But only the Christian faith. Only the followers of Jesus can speak of one who died and came back to life, who rose again. Only the Christian faith has resurrection as central to it. It's the core of our message, and this is the Jesus the church is commissioned to make known. It's the one who has risen from the dead. It's the one who has defeated death for all time. Who demonstrates through his life, his death and his resurrection how much God loves humanity. It's his death and resurrection that makes possible forgiveness and relationship with God into the future. Hey, let's, let's be clear and if you're not clear, get clear. Let's be convinced, church. He rose from the dead. He's not dead anymore. I'm going to take you to a conclusion now. And, and, and maybe the band could, could just, just come up. And, and, uh, and then I'm going to hand over to James just in a moment. But I wonder if you'd allow me just to share this with you. I came into the, um, the beginning, well, actually, it was the end of 2016, the beginning of 2017. And, and just sometimes I, I sense like God speaks to me, for me personally, and maybe it's sometimes beyond that. And I, I, I share this with you, and I ask you to judge it. I came to the sense that God was asking of me, and perhaps asking of us as a church, that in 2017, God might enable us to be brave. To be brave. And I was reading just a few, well, actually, the beginning of Matthew 14, actually, just a few verses earlier, where, where Jesus has just fed the 5,000. And they're all excited about who Jesus is and what he's doing. And then it says that he, he, he takes his disciples and it's the, the, the Greek that he uses is a very strong word. He pushes them into a boat, sends them out into the lake. He goes up to the mountain to pray. And you know what happens when they're on the lake? There's a great storm on the lake. <sighs> Presumably Jesus knew there was a storm coming. Jesus has pushed his disciples into a storm. He's pushed his disciples into danger. And then, of course, the, the account goes on and it tells us how, how Jesus goes walking towards them on the water. And his words to them are this. 
take courage. Or in my words, be brave. In the storm, you know there's a lot of uncertainty around at the moment, isn't there? A lot of uncertainty. I, I, I can't remember a time of greater uncertainty in, 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 our, in our nation. Events of last year have left us wondering, feel, perhaps feeling a degree of insecurity. And we look across the face of the earth and there's insecurity, uncertainty. There's a sense of storm. I, I just sense that, that Jesus comes to us walking on the water and he speaks into the midst of the storm which he has sent us into. Take courage. Be brave. And then he says these words. He says, it is I. It's <laughs> the one we've been talking about this morning. He says, it's I. They saw him and they, they, it was him. It was the Jesus. The one that in the midst of the storm they could trust in. Oh, wow. God, help me to be brave. You know, the great news is this, that the end of the story, after the resurrection, before Jesus leaves the earth, Jesus says to his disciples, wait in Jerusalem. Why wait? We've got a whole world to reach. You know, he says, wait in Jerusalem. And then he says this. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Oh, let me say that again. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses. Oh, that means we'll, we'll make Jesus known. You'll be my witnesses. Where? In Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria. In fact, everywhere. Thank God. He doesn't leave us on our own. Can't do it on our own, can we? I, I just, I've come to the conclusion, you know what? I, I, I can't do it. I just can't do this thing. I can't do this Christian life. I can't do it on my own. I desperately need the Holy Spirit to enable me to be the person that God's called me to be, to be that witness. James. James.